Well, uh, thank you um, for being here this evening to celebrate uh, the birth of the Messiah and uh, to be able to, uh, to come together to worship in this way, to encourage one another even in doing this. And um, I want to spend a few minutes uh, looking into God's Word, specifically the passage that uh, the uh, children read just a few moments ago for us, which is, uh, I'll admit, a bit of a non-traditional passage for um, the Nativity. It's part of the Nativity story, but it's not one of the more familiar ones that we would even think of, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I wonder, as we gather for you know, this annual Christmas Eve service where, um, you know, this hasn't always been a given. The weather this year, of course, made it not a given. And over the past couple of years, there's other reasons why gathering for Christmas Eve wasn't a given. We won't mention what that was. Uh, But we're grateful to be able to get together. And I wonder as we gather for this Christmas Eve service, if, if you have a true awareness of what the message of this season really is about? Or, or to what degree would you say you have a true awareness, a good awareness of what this season is really about? And if we were to boil it down to certain words and survey everybody, you know, what would those words be that you would use that would describe this season? Some people would say giving or generosity, and that's certainly a big one and might be the number one answer. Others might use words like light or joy or peace. These are all words that are pretty commonly attached to the Christmas season. And each one of those expresses at least in part what Christmas is about, but none of them capture the entire essence of what this season is about, the essential core of what Christmas really is. Now, historically, what we celebrate in this next sentence is packed with meaning, but what we celebrate is the visitation of God to earth in the sending of his son to take on human flesh in order that he would mount a rescue mission for sinful humanity. And and that statement reflects what the prophecy reflected in the scripture passage that was read earlier. And so I wanna take a few minutes just to break that down for us so we understand it better. So here, here's, here's the core of what we're talking about is this visitation of God, this visitation of Christ to earth. And first of all, that visitation addresses human, humanity's most pressing need. And that is a need to be rescued or to use biblical language, a, a need to be saved. And that's an important biblical word that speaks, in fact, to the spiritual condition of every single human being that's ever lived. Every human being in the room today, every human being on the live stream, every human being around the world that's ever lived all through history and ever will live, we all have a certain spiritual condition that has to be addressed. And the passage that was read is a, was a prophecy spoken by a man the Holy Spirit gave Zechariah this prophecy. And so we understand who Zechariah was. He was the father of John the Baptist. And so we understand the greater family connections. Zechariah's wife's name was Elizabeth. She's the one who bore John. And Elizabeth and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were relatives so that Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins, separated by six months, John the Baptist being older by six months. And John the Baptist came, again, by the prophecy of God. Uh, He came to be the forerunner, to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. He prepared the way by preaching a message of repentance. Now again, 
That speaks to our spiritual condition. And our spiritual condition is made obvious by the statement in the prophecy that the Spirit gave to Zechariah. Verse 68 says, the Lord God of Israel has visited and redeemed his people. Now, two critical words in there are underlined for us, visited and redeemed. We would not need to be visited unless we were in trouble, unless God needed to come to set something aright. And we would not need to be redeemed unless we had made such a mess of things that we had racked up such a debt that we couldn't possibly pay. And so our most pressing need is that we are actually alienated from God, separated from the God who created us, who made us, and who made us to be in relationship with him. Our greatest need is that we have sinned, creating that alienation between us and God so that we don't have the relationship with him that we ought to. And because we don't have that relationship with God, that's created what I think you would agree with me. I think everyone would agree with, with this statement. Whether you're a person of faith or not, whether church is your thing or not, I think you would agree that we all have built into the, us this dissonance about life. There's something about it that just doesn't make sense and that actually explains all the striving that we do in our lives. There is a dissonance in our lives and in the world as a whole. I don't think I need to spend any time trying to convince anyone about how broken our world is, how much dissonance exists in the world itself, that it's badly broken and spiraling into despair. You only need to spend a few minutes reading the news, watching the news, to understand how very badly broken our world is. And that really in the last two or three years, it just seems more so than in any other time in recent memory, if not within the lifetimes of everyone alive today. It's, it's such a unique time that's showing just how badly broken the world is and how big the chasm is between us and God. But it's not just the world. It's each of our own personal lives which are also a mess as we strive throughout our life to have a sense of identity, to have a purpose in this world, to, to, to find love, to, to, to really genuinely sense that we are loved. And, and we desperately crave these three things and we'll go out and pursue almost anything to try and find satisfaction, to find an identity, to find a purpose and to be loved those desperate cravings that we have speak further to the dissonance between us and God. And the reality is that identity, purpose, and a sense of love can only come from Jesus. And two very bold statements that arise out of the scriptures are these ones. The world will not be set aright apart from Jesus. And any one of our individual lives, no matter how hard you search, your life will not be set aright unless it is set aright by Christ. Now, the good news is God's always had a plan to fix what we messed up, always had a plan to redeem humanity. And his vision, notice this second, his visitation 
fulfills God's long-standing promise to do just that. In verses 70, 70 and, and following, he says, He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. This is a long-standing promise. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. I send preacher after preacher after preacher to tell you these things. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. To remember his holy covenant, the agreement that I made with you. The oath that he swore. God swore an oath to fix the mess that we have made of things. He made a promise. He made a covenant. He means to fulfill these things. And in fact, throughout the Old Testament, this promise was reiterated and rehearsed over and over again. Generation after generation received anew these promises that they would have hope in Christ. Hope in a Messiah coming, a Savior who would rescue them. And then it all culminated in what we are celebrating this season. When angels appeared, when an angel came to Mary and made the announcement that she would bear the Messiah, when an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, when an angel came to Zechariah and told him and Elizabeth that they would have the forerunner of the Messiah, when the angels appeared on the hillside to the shepherds announcing the child had been born and that they should go and witness the birth. These messengers broke into history to advance the plan to fulfill the promise and the prophecies that had been made. The child, the king of Israel, the savior was born. That's the point of Christmas. That's the essence of the nativity story. That's what God is fulfilling and what we're celebrating here today. So whatever else you do, if you have the decorated tree and you put the lights on the house and you're having a turkey dinner and the family's all coming over and you're exchanging gifts and you're listening to all your seasonal favorites, that's all fine. That's all awesome. Do it. But remember that the essential core of the message is this rescue plan, the fulfillment of these promises and prophecies that God had made. Namely, that we should be saved from our enemies. That's interesting language. Zechariah, of course, is thinking that these prophecies are going to be fulfilled in a very specific way. First century Jews would have thought, about the Davidic throne being reestablished, the Messiah taking that throne and pushing out their enemies, the Romans, so that Israel would be an independent country again. That Yahweh would be the God who so obviously was leading it. God had something far greater in mind. It wasn't just the restoration of Israel as a country, but it was a message, a gospel that was to spread around the world that we should all be safe from our enemies. And being delivered from the hand of our enemies, notice might serve him. Think about how all-encompassing this is. Might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so this isn't as simple as, you know what, I'm gonna show up for Christmas service and I'm gonna throw in Easter and I call myself a Christian. That's not at all what we're talking about here. This consumes my entire life that I would serve him, that I would live a holy life, that I would be righteous, that this would be lived out 
uh, all of my days, the entirety of my life for him, a whole lifetime of loving and following and believing in and serving and worshiping God. That's Christmas. That's the essence and the core of what we believe. It's a promise fulfilled, a promise that we would be saved. It's not as all, you know, you watch these Christmas movies. You like the Christmas movies? It's not these Christmas movies where someone saves Christmas. So many of the movies are just about like Christmas was in peril and someone saved Christmas. It was usually a donkey or an elf that saves Christmas. No, it's, it's, it's not that anyone saves Christmas. It's that Christmas saves us. That's the message that's being proclaimed here. But in order to do so, it offers every one of us a life-altering choice. See, God doesn't impose this on anyone. And it's important to understand this because I realize that Christmas Eve is probably our most diverse crowd of the entire year. And it's a mix of people who are part of our Harvest family and then people who are forced to come here by those people. So I've just made it awkward for some of you, I get it, but thank you for being here no matter how you got here. If you're ticking a box so that you would satisfy your family so that Christmas dinner would be more peaceful, we're still great to, it's still, still great to have you here and we're so glad you came. And though you may feel like you were coerced or forced into coming here tonight, I want you to know that God doesn't coerce or force anyone to become a Christian. And in fact, he won't, he won't apply this he won't impose it on anyone. He won't apply it to anyone who, who, who doesn't exercise faith in him. It doesn't apply to everyone by default. It's not like Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed and therefore everybody in all of humanity is now covered by that. That's not the way it works. This visitation of Christ instead must be believed. It must be received personally. Every individual person grappling with the truth of the gospel and deciding to believe or not. And you don't get it, by the way, through religious rituals like baptism. The sacraments do not save. Religious ritual does not save. Being part of a church does not save. You're not born into it. If your parents are Christians, that's fabulous. If your grandparents were, that's good. If your family considers itself a Christian family, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have it. No one can do enough good things to merit it. You can't do enough good works to earn what God is offering here. You could take all the money you have and stuff it in those Sally Ann kettles. It wouldn't be enough. And ironically, morality, which many people rely on, I'm a good person. Morality, when practiced on its own, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, actually drives people further from the gospel, not closer to it. Because the good person says, I'm a good person, and I don't need Jesus. I don't need relationships. A relationship with God. I don't need faith because I'm good. 
Now, here it is from the prophecy. Jesus came to give knowledge of salvation, to make the message clear. Jesus came to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. That's satisfying the core problem that we all have. Because of, notice the tender mercy of our God, not because of things that we have done, not by good works, but by God's tender mercy, mercy being God not giving me what I do deserve, which is because of my sin, eternal separation from him. God shows me his mercy and allows me a way out of that. See, it's not because of anything we've done. And this is a life-altering choice based on a knowledge that God gives us, the knowledge of the good news or the gospel. And when we make this decision, when we take this knowledge and believe it, according to the prophecy, it results in the forgiveness of sins. And in that moment, everything changes for us. Notice. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. There's such beauty. It's so poetic. Such beauty in those words. But make no mistake, as you read them, you need to read them and apply them to yourself. Because when we read these, what we see, what the poetry, what the, what the verse communicates to us is that we are sitting in darkness. I mean, notwithstanding that we are actually sitting in darkness right now. But that's physical darkness. And that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about spiritual darkness. That we're sitting in the shadow of death. Not physical death. We are in the shadow of physical death because it is appointed for every one of us at some point to die. But this is speaking of spiritual death, eternal separation from God. And because we sit in this darkness and we sit in the shadow of this death, we now need to take the knowledge that he speaks of here and we need to do something with it. And the thing that we need to do with it is exercise faith in Jesus Christ to believe this message, to believe in his birth in the manger, to believe in his death on the cross, to believe in his resurrection from the tomb, and to believe in his return in the clouds. To admit, to admit that you need to be saved, that you need to be rescued, that you need God's forgiveness of your sins. And when you do that, all the other things that we think of, all those words that we, that we could think of to describe what Christmas is about, generosity, peace, joy, love, all of this becomes ours. Not in bits and pieces, not wishful thinking, but the byproduct and blessing of exercising faith in the Savior. So my hope and prayer for each one who's here tonight, each one who's watching on the live stream, my hope and prayer for you is that you would make that choice to believe that you too would be saved. Let me pray.
Father, I, I thank you for uh, the clarity with which you speak to us through the prophecies and for the promises that you have made to us. Father, a promise that you made right at the very moment that sin entered into this world. And Father, you set in place this plan to redeem the mess that we made of things. And we're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for your mercy. We're grateful for the gospel's message of a free gift through Jesus Christ. And Father, we're thankful too for this special time of year when we have this wonderful opportunity to remember and to celebrate the Savior's birth and all you did for us. The offering of your Son is a, as a gift to us. Gift of Himself. Father, help us, even in the coming hours, we head into the rest of Christmas Eve and into Christmas Day and Boxing Day and as we gather with, gather with friends and family and we celebrate these things, Father, help us to sift through all of the trappings and busyness of the season to simply see Jesus and to reflect on and respond to his kind offer to forgive our sins. And God, I pray especially for those who have not yet received this gift. I pray, God, that you would convince them. I pray, God, that you would pursue them. Father, I pray that they would keep thinking about the message that they've heard here this evening. That your spirit would draw them to yourself. That you would make them heirs of the inheritance in heaven. That you would make them recipients of these promises that you've made. God, that you would pull them from darkness into light. That you would take them from the shadow of death into life eternal. And I pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.